do better next week. I apologize for that. If you've got your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn in to Mark chapter 8 or the Story Bible, page 353 this morning. Thank you to all of you who showed your love and your support and uh, came out to serve the family of Miriam Hood over the course of the past week and Friday and Saturday here. Uh, Miriam was such a light here at our church, and it's, she's going to be sorely missed. And I think about all the time she sat in that lobby and asked questions about people and encouraged others who walked out those doors. Maybe you're just one of those people to take up her mantle today and see that lobby as your place of encouragement for another person here at the church. I, I just thank her for all the times that I preached terrible sermons and she told me they were wonderful. And uh, what a sweet lady. She's going to be dearly, dearly missed. So uh, just excited today to continue through the story with you. For those of you who are new to Victory Life this morning, we are in chapter 25 of a 31-week journey from Genesis to Revelation, from the start of the Bible to the end. Uh, We have story Bibles that are an abridged version, and we've been going through them uh, for these past 25 weeks, and we are six weeks out from wrapping this up, which is so cool. We are going to have a great big celebration on our anniversary Sunday to close out the story And then on September 2nd, we are going to have a great Vision Sunday plotting the course for the new year. And in the meantime, we've got some major announcements coming, what, August 4th, Pastor Otto? That is just going to excite you guys to no end. So lots of of neat stuff that God has going here at VLC. A number of years ago, uh, I carried something the wrong way for too long. And did myself a tremendous disservice, because that night when I went to grab a pitcher of water from my refrigerator, I screamed bloody murder. I had thrown out my back for the first time in my life. And so for the next couple days, I tried to medicate myself. Ibuprofen, heat, cold, massages. Uh, I even used Icy Hot, which is the biggest crock in the history of the world. Those people are brilliant. This is what we'll do. Rub this on yourself. You will have the sensation of your skin melting off, and you'll forget about the other pain that you're feeling. That Nothing worked. Nothing worked. But I kept trying to medicate myself because I didn't want to go to the doctor. Anybody else hate going to the doctor? I hate going to the doctor. So I don't want to go to the doctor. I was going to take care of the problem. I couldn't sleep. Every time I stood up, I screamed. Every time I sat down, I screamed. I just kept screaming. So eventually I thought, okay, I'm going to go to the doctor because the doctor will give me better medication for this. And I went to the doctor, and and he did. He gave me steroids. But he also wrote me a prescription for physical therapy, like I was ever going to do that. I was going to take whatever drugs I could get from him, and I was going to take those, and I was going to survive this thing. But five days in to all the drugs he gave me, guess what? Wasn't working. Had to humble myself, had to go to the physical therapist, and had to know that I was going to stretch in my shorts in front of someone I barely knew. And I went there, and the physical therapist looked at me and said, I want you to know when you're with me, it's going to hurt, but then you're going to get better. And I'm like, I'm out of here. It already hurts terribly. I can't imagine it hurting worse. Well, guess what? It did. But what was neat is after almost two weeks of self-medicating and trying to fix this thing myself, I went to the person who caused me more pain, but who eventually helped heal my bulging disc. It was incredible that as I did the exercises that she told me to do, and I went back to her office five or six times, all of a sudden I started to feel better. A little pain at the outset, but some healing at the end. As we get into chapter 25 of the story, Jesus has descended to earth 
and he's found a disease and a sickness with his people. And all they can do is sort of self-medicate, try to fix it themselves, try to heal it themselves. And from, from the beginning of the story until now, we've seen people that even though God is pursuing them and loves them, continues to put up the hand to God and, and push him away and push him away and push him away, even though they realize that something is broken and something has fallen, something needs to happen, pushing away the doctor, pushing away that person who can bring healing. Well, Jesus is going to talk about the healing that the world needs here in chapter 25, and he's going to surprise his disciples, and then he's going to surprise the crowds. And before he's done today, he's going to talk about the healing that each one of us needs in our lives. And perhaps the path to healing is going to come as a surprise to you as you put down all of the things in your medicine cabinet and take some heavenly therapy. Are you in Mark chapter 8, verse 27, or page 353 in the story? It says this, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what do you say? Jesus asked. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And at this point, Jesus doesn't deny it. He lets it go. I cannot imagine being one of Jesus' disciples at this moment because this would have been utter elation. You see, the Old Testament had pointed to this idea that God was going to send a Messiah, which means an anointed one, a Savior, someone who was going to do something about the fact that no matter how much human tr humans tried to focus on God's plan for their life and how much humans tried to be righteous, we learned over and over again in chapters 1 through 20 that it just wasn't working. What was ailing human beings just could not be fixed by human beings, that someone was going to have to come to fix this thing. And the Jewish people were expecting this Savior. The descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were expecting this Messiah. They were looking forward to the one who would come and fix what ails them. Jesus was the one they had been looking for. And finally, someone has the audacity within Jesus' inner circle to look at him and go, you're it. And Jesus is like, yeah, I am it. I am the Son of God. I was sent from heaven. I'm the one you've been expecting. I can't imagine the elation that the disciples felt at this moment. But what I can't imagine next is the deflation about what Jesus says about being the Messiah. Look at verse 30. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the leaders of Israel, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, and he said, Get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. What? Like when Jesus admits to being the Messiah, someone should have blown the trumpet. Someone should have been incredibly excited, but Jesus squashes it immediately, because the first thing he says is, Don't use that word. Don't tell people I'm the Messiah. Now, why would he say this? 
Well, think about it this way for a minute. The minute a title is confirmed on somebody, don't you begin to have expectations of that person? Like the minute I became senior pastor, everything changed for me. And good, well-meaning people came to me often and told me exactly what a senior pastor should do. And what a senior pastor should look like. So much so that if you walk by my office, I just have pastor under there because I, I, I didn't know if I wanted to be a senior pastor. Because people begin to put expectations, and they were well-meaning people. Some people say, Pastor Matt, you shouldn't do that. No, you shouldn't do that. No, no, you're cleaning a stain on the carpet. Senior pastors don't do that. But, but, but then there were other people who were telling me what I should be doing, and I love those people with the love of God. Anyhow... Uh, <laughs> There were certain specific things that people expected from the Messiah. You know, wh when, you, when you realize that things aren't quite right and aren't quite good and you're not happy with your life, you want the Messiah to come and you want him to fix it all. We still look for political saviors today, don't we? I mean, watch after election night, you know, whatever, 19 months from now. Whether or not the president's re-elected or someone else is elected, people are going to act like Jesus has come. Because they're looking for someone to cure their ills. But Jesus says, don't tell anybody that I'm the Messiah, because guess what the Messiah is going to do? The Messiah is going to suffer. He's going to be rejected by the powers that be. He's going to be killed. This does not compute with his disciples. So much so that Peter, who we can only call a patsy, goes and does the other disciples' will to go rebuke the Son of God. He's going to go scold the Son of God. I wonder how that went. How do you do that? And, and how do we know he was the patsy? Because it says Peter went to rebuke him, and then Jesus turned to all the disciples and said, get behind me, Satan. You guys are not allowed to gang up on me like that. That's what Jesus says, right? How do you rebuke the Son of God? <coughs> uh, Lord, you got to check yourself. You know, what do you say to Jesus? But Peter, being a, a brilliant fisherman, uh, decides that he's going to go scold Jesus and tell him this is not what the Messiah is supposed to do. But Jesus used an important word. He said the Messiah, or he says the Son of Man, must, must be rejected, must suffer, must be killed. This is the plan of God. Jesus' favorite self-designation was Son of Man, which was really quite brilliant. You see, the, the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament, God often called him the Son of Man, so many people could have heard Jesus calling himself the Son of Man and be like, oh, he's a prophet like Ezekiel. Yeah, he just healed a paralyzed guy. He teaches really well. Eh, prophet like Ezekiel. But what Jesus is actually referencing is Daniel chapter 7, that Son of Man. That Son of Man is sent from heaven by God the Father to institute the kingdom of God. And God the Father is going to give him all authority forevermore. So Jesus says, yeah, I'm the Son of Man. And they're like, oh, he's a prophet. And Jesus is like, well, actually, I'm bringing the kingdom. Bringing the kingdom. But he says, don't tell him I'm the Messiah because my version of Messiah suffers and is rejected and is killed. This doesn't compute. Jesus was the most dynamic speaker any of these people had ever heard. He had done incredible miracles. He'd done incredible healings. He obviously could read people's mail. He knew what was going on in their hearts and minds, even, even if they weren't willing to voice it. Jesus was incredible. And these disciples make it very clear that they were going to ride the wave of Jesus all the way to the top. 
Jesus was going to make Israel the greatest country on earth. Jesus was going to rule from Israel. And I don't know what their hopes were if, if eventually everybody would speak Hebrew and, and everybody would follow the law of Moses. But one day Israel would be the greatest nation on earth again. And they just might become pretty powerful since they were Jesus' disciples. The, the, the Bible makes it very clear that's what his disciples were after. In fact, even after Jesus' resurrection, you know what they ask him in Acts chapter 1? They say, Jesus, are you now going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus is like, I just died and rise again, and this is what you asked me? I mean, that's really where, where we get to. They were going to ride Jesus' wave to the top. But Jesus came to earth recognizing that the symptoms of what was wrong in Israel was not what he came to fix. He came to a world that was fallen. He came to people who were broken. He came to folks whose only outlook in life was sin followed by death. He came to a people who were estranged from the God who had created them for him. Jesus came to heal the disease, not to medicate the symptoms. That's what he came to do. The disciples want Jesus to medicate the symptoms of their life. Jesus has come to heal the disease. So when Jesus says, I'm going to rise again, they don't even hear it. They wouldn't have rebuked him if they'd heard it. And I'm going to rise again. From my death will come life. They don't even hear it. They rebuke the Son of God. They scold him. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, because the last thing in the world the enemy of our soul ever wanted was to Jesus to die for the sins of the world. That sort of thwarts the plan of sin and death, doesn't it? But that's what Jesus says. This is exactly what I'm here to do. I must suffer. I must be rejected. I must die. And it's all about what they read because it's in there. It's clear that the Messiah is going to do that. For those of you who are taking notes, Psalm chapter 22, suffering Messiah. Psalm chapter 69, suffering Messiah. Zechariah chapter 9 through 14, suffering Messiah. Isaiah chapter 52, suffering Messiah. Isaiah chapter 53, suffering Messiah. So it's not like it wasn't in there. It's not like the expectation that the Messiah would do this on behalf of humanity was not there. It was there. It's just not the way they chose to read it. They wanted someone to come and restore what they thought was broken. But aren't you glad that God is bigger than us and has his sight set on something greater than we would set our own lives on? They wanted him to cure the, the symptoms. He came to cure the disease. And then he speaks to us. You say, what do you mean he speaks to us? See, Jesus had this moment, and then he goes like this. Oh, oh, get behind me, Satan. Hey, everybody gather around. He looks at the crowds that were following him. He's off with his disciples. He's having this moment. And then he goes, oh, this is a teaching moment. The disciples are probably feeling terrible at this moment, right? Jesus just said, get behind me, Satan. And then he, then he brings the crowds in to make them feel even stupider, right? Crowds, come here, come here. Teaching moment, teaching moment. Come here, come here, come here. And this is what he says to the rest of his disciples, the greater crowd of disciples, not the inner circle, but those who would want to follow Jesus. Look at verse 35 as he calls the crowds in. He's going to teach us today something that we need to know. Look at verse 34. He says, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, they're going to lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit 
their soul. Teaching moment. Can I just say for a minute, I love the Bible. I love the Word of God. But sometimes I absolutely despise the editors. Because many of you are reading a standard Bible this morning, and there's a page break here. They, they give you some editorial note in your Bible, something like, the cost of discipleship, right between these two stories. But they go together. Jesus is saying, from my death, I'm going to bring life. Everybody gather around. From your death, I'm going to bring life. They go together. They go together. There is no page break. He's saying, as I do, so will you. He says, if you want to follow me, take up your cross, deny yourself, and then you're going to truly be my disciple. That must have been a very weird statement to them on that side of the cross. Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. So you know what they just heard? Take up a Roman implementation of torture and death and follow me. But for those who had lived a while, they'd seen people in Galilee crucified before. There'd been a revolt while Jesus was a child. They'd seen people hanging there for days. And Jesus pulls up this grisly image and says, listen, if you want to follow me, you got to die. You got to die. From my death, or from your death, I will bring life. You know, there's this, there's this great big thing that happens in churches all the time. There, there are a group of folks that sit in the church and they're here every Sunday, and they're having a war, they're having a battle. You say, how do you know this? Because I've been there. I've been in this place where I am so concerned about whether or not I'm going to give my full self to Jesus. Whether or not I'm going to give my full self to God. Because if I give all of myself to the Lord, I recognize that I'm going to change. That, that who I am is going to be no more, and who he wants me to be is coming. And for some reason, in our fallen state, we sometimes will choose the dying version of ourselves over the living version of ourselves. We'll, we'll choose the, the, the portion of ourselves that otherwise would have been headed to hell who, who are messing up relationships, who can't get out of our own way, can't see past the end of our own nose, selfish, self-seeking, self-serving. We want to somehow cling to that life, and we're scared of what will happen if God truly gets a hold of us. And we just want to cling to the corpse of our former life. And it's gross. It's gross. Years ago, I heard a terrible story. I'm going to share it with you. It's sad. It's sort of funny, too. But a, a gentleman who I know walked in on his mother, elderly mother, and she was just petting her dog who was laying on the floor. And when her son walked in, this elderly mother looked at her son and said, I think something's wrong with the dog. And he says, yeah, Mom, the dog's dead. And she's petting it. And that's not all that funny. What was funny is when the son looked at me and goes, it was the most pitiful thing I ever saw. <laughs> Made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, that's pitiful. That's sad. Sort of gross. 
but as human beings, we do this. For some reason, in our fallenness, we want to hold on to some dying version of ourselves that really wasn't working, that really wasn't who we were designed to be. Remember, we were created by I am God, Yahweh God, Jehovah God, existence himself, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We were created by him, and we want to cling to the version of ourselves that is none of that. Jesus says, time to kill that guy and leave him dead. Take up your cross, follow me. Deny that person and be made the type of person that God designed you to be. To be a disciple of Jesus, here's here's the secret, but it's no secret. It comes right out. To be a disciple of Jesus is to die. Truly live the way God designed you to live, the way God designed you to be. The most alive people, and I, I, can, I can say this with surety uh, of integrity, the most alive people I have ever met are the ones who are most dead to their former life. They're the ones who are alive. They're the ones who have overcome fear. They're the ones who you walk around and just go, wow, where did they come from? They're the ones that have joy in the midst of sorrow. They're the ones that have peace in the midst of the storm. They're the ones who who are serving and serving and serving, and you think, don't they ever get tired? It's because they have taken on the character of their creator. And they are full of the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that each one of us was designed to be. They're full of the Holy Spirit of God. But they're dead to that person. Jesus says, if I have come to die to bring you life, you must die in order to receive that life. We need to do it. We need to do it as human beings. I heard another pastor say recently when remarking on this passage, you need to look at that old life and who you were before you met Christ and regularly scream at it, you're dead! You're dead! And I want no part of you anymore. I don't want to hang on to the, to the decomposing self that I once was. I don't want that. And Jesus doesn't want that for us either. He says, you can live if you sell out for me and sell out for the gospel. You will live. And why does he say for me in the gospel? He says for me in the gospel because he says, if you sell out to who I am and what I'm doing, you'll truly live. And we learned in the story chapter one, and we learn it through the incarnation of Christ, this, that God is in pursuit of human beings. And the gospel is God's message to a lost and a dying world. He says, pursue me, follow me, come after me, and let's go after him together. Jesus never said to his disciples, follow me and I will make you kings of Israel. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's who you're designed to be. People who pursue others 
in the name of Christ Jesus. That's real life. But it's going to require saying to our old self, you're dead. Our Lord Jesus died to every human desire. And we know this because he went to Gethsemane. He went to trial. And he went to the cross. And I want to tell you today, to die to every human desire is not to stop enjoying life. The same one who said, die to yourself, also said through the Apostle Paul, God has given us all things for our enjoyment. Thank you, God, for that. I have to tell you, I had an ice-cold Coke yesterday at my family reunion. My wife doesn't let me have pops. So this was very special (laughs) to me. And as I drank that Coke, with or without her knowledge, She now has knowledge. I said to myself, this is great. (laughs) I've missed this. (laughs) God gave us all things for our enjoyment. But I want to tell you something today. Those things that God has given us for our enjoyment, they can never fully satisfy, and they will never, never heal what ails you. Ever. Jesus came to heal you, to heal what was broken, to heal what was dying. He went to the cross and suffered on behalf of you and I so that all we'd have to do is look at our old self and say, you're dead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for you are the great physician. Jesus, you yourself said you didn't come for the healthy. You came for the sick. Lord, I don't want to medicate the symptoms of this life anymore. I want you to eradicate the disease. I want you to knock the stuff out of my life that is decaying and dying and fill me up with your life-giving spirit. Jesus, that's what you came to do. You came to make it possible. You came to earth so that imperfect people could be made righteous through your sacrifice. And people who could not receive the Spirit of God could now receive the Spirit of God and be led by you. God, I pray for those of us who are in the business of stocking our medicine cabinet will come to see you, the great physician allow you to change us. Not tradition, not religiosity, you. You. Our elders and prayer team are going to come to the front today. And as they do, we're just going to take a few minutes as a church to pray. There's plenty of time seek the Lord today. And as we sit here today and pray for a few minutes, I just want you to ask the Lord a question. Lord, is there any place where I'm trying to treat the symptoms and you want to heal the disease? Any place, God, where I'm clinging to some version of my old life that I just need to give to you? Lord, would you 
give me the strength and the power and the ability to renounce that person, to deny that person, and give myself wholly to you. I want to live. I want to live life as I was meant to live. I want to lose my life for you in the sake of the gospel. That's what I need today, Lord. Would you do it in me? And I want to speak specifically for just a moment to, to a few people. I don't know who they are, but you'll know who you are. That would say, I've tried to deny that person, or I've, I just need someone to pray for me today. I need somebody to pray for my healing today. It would take a, a huge dose of humility. But you know what? Denying ourselves often does. Our elders and our prayer team would love to pray for you this morning, pray over you this morning, and ask that you would come alive. Come alive in Christ. Don't sit in that place anymore. If that's you today and you'd like to be prayed for, you can come right now. No one's looking. Every head's bowed. Every eye's closed. I just need somebody to pray for me today. I don't want to walk. I don't want to live in this place any longer. I don't want to be here any longer. I just need someone to pray for me. You bring any need, any concern that you have today. They would love to pray for you. They would love to pray for you. You folks are coming. coercive today. I'm not trying to fill the altars for my sake, but I tell you what, if you need somebody to pray for you today, this is the place to do it. Jesus said, my house should be called a house of prayer. Somebody would love to pray with you. Somebody would love to pray with you. God's at work. For those of you in your seats, ask that question of the Lord. Pray to him. Ask him. After a time of prayer, we'll close together.